the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. This is a state of control. Episode number five, recorded Monday, July eighth, two thousand thirteen. Configuratable. This is a state of control. The uh, podcast put on to you by the fine folks at AV Nation, looking at the control and automation segment of the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for, for downloading or streaming or listening uh, to this. Uh, thanks for giving us an hour of your time. Uh, with us, as always, is Mr. Steve Greenblatt. Steve is the chief muckety-muck. He owns everything at Control Concepts in New Jersey. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Good, Doing well. Good to be back. Doing well. Uh, also with us is Rich Fergoza from FergozaDesign.com. He is a digital concierge. I almost got it wrong. <laughs> Actually, I'm bookending it for AV Nation. Oh, yes, you are. We, he, was, he was on this week's episode of AV Nation, so eventually we're going to have to pay him something. Yeah. I think we make something. So. Yeah, exactly. Just just pay me in beer. Everybody knows uh, okay. that works. with Uncle Richie. Uh, also from another podcast that we do, this is a kind of our, our, our recycled version of, of, of State of Control, Mr. Matt Silverman. Matt's my buddy uh, from George Mason University. He is a fellow technology manager. How are you, sir? Doing well, so this, this is our recycled show, huh? Yes, yes, uh, but we have two newbies, so you know it's not completely recycled. We are using some uh, some fresh virgin uh, material. Uh, it's like the All Star team. We, we put together the All the All Star team. There yeah. we go. I there, like there that. Go. I like the, that. That's it. Or the waiver wire. It's like the guys. No, like, let's go with All Star team. I like that better. <laughs> it's it's almost All Star break, so that works. Um, uh, two of the fresh, uh, fresh meat, as it were. Uh, Scott Samsel, Scott's from Greenpoint TDI. How are you, sir? Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, and also Bernard Morgan. Bernard is from ICS Plus. How are you, Bernard? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, so, what state of control is? We talk about different segments of the uh, of the automation and control uh, uh, industry, industry for AV. We've talked about the control. We've talked about uh, the fact that uh, well, some of the some of the uh, control manufacturers have gotten to stay into things other than control. And to that end, this month we're going to talk about the new roles of the AV programmer. Simply because, well, um, because the control companies have gotten into other things uh, that have that's facilitated us uh, that, had, that deal with control to get into other things. Uh, I mentioned off the air that, that here recently I, I am a newly minted Crestron DMCE, uh, which stands for Digital Media... Um, something engineer. <laughs> Maybe I should. Fortunately, know that wasn't on the test. DM. What is it? Digital media. <laughs> What's the C for crying out loud? Certified. Certified. Thank you, engineer. Maybe I should cut that part out, but I probably won't. Um, certified engineer, which means I know how to engineer and troubleshoot and stuff. Their their DM product. But if you don't know what the DM product is, it's not a control product. <laughs> so um, what we're going to do is, is just kind of take a look at, at what this has done to the role of the programmer and, and uh, also kind of how you put together, honestly, your own all-star team. Uh, guys that are in, in, in women who are really good at programming and, and really good at coding, maybe not so good at uh, doing the pretty pictures and the guys and gals that are do, good at doing the pretty pictures. 
may not be so good at the ones and zeros. So, uh, Steve, first of all, uh, let's kick it off with you. What has and how has, um, let's say how has the, the, the role of the programmer changed, uh, not just in the last five or 10 years, but honestly in the last 20 years or so? Well, if we go back to the beginning, and I usually do this with other episodes, so it's not uh, unusual. Um, going back to our first show, we talked about how uh, what what is programming and what is a programmer and 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 how there's been an evolution and uh, you know, pro- programmers have always been in demand and and I think that uh, when program con- control was a little bit more primitive a programmer used to be focused purely on writing code and and getting things to work and systems used to work manually and, and just adding control would be a, a an overlay on on program on on your system um, programming has since evolved to to really understanding how the system functions each piece of device each each device in the system the user identifying the user's needs like you said designing graphics and, and user interface and uh, Commissioning and troubleshooting, which I think is is really understated as to how much of a role a programmer plays in really making the system work in the end. It, it so so we're and and I speak from the perspective of an independent programmer, but uh, we we want to be involved in the beginning, but we're always involved in the end, and it's 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 really has has turned into a, a, a vast. Uh, set of skills to be able to be successful. Well, and, and Rich, you, you, you mean you, you've been doing this um, uh, as long as, as, or roughly as long as, as Steve has. It, over the last few years, it, it, here recently, Crestron changed their uh, CAPES, Crestron Authorized Independent Programmer, to CSP, Crestron Service Provider, which was kind of a, a, a foreshadowing of this very topic where no longer do they want you just to know the ones and zeros. They don't want you just to know, you know, the ACNAC uh, and how to get a reply from a projector over 232. They want you to know everything, uh, whether it's, and I don't just mean pick on Crestron, Crestron, AMX, Aurora. All these guys want you to know their their product line inside and out and how to make those products talk to other guys. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it as opposed to cre- the manufacturers leading the charge. I think they're actually reacting to the market. Um, a lot of companies started originally out as as programmers. You know, the control systems programming wasn't exactly something that any of us woke up at you know twelve years old and said, "I'm going to play pro ball or program Crestron." It didn't work out that way. We all kind of found our way into this um, industry. Whether you know, I know some of the guys work for the mothership. Um, I came from a completely different background. And when we first started out, there just wasn't as many things to control 20 years ago. I mean, that's the reality of it. You, you had some very simple interfaces in terms of, you know, the Gazintas and the Gazautas. You know, it was an IR, a relay, you know, maybe some serial control. And so it was pretty straightforward in terms of the things that we did. So you can go in and just code and not that many items to choose from. We had a, a, a fixed list of items to work with. As the industry is involved, as control is evolved, as you know, more and more devices become available to us, I think what happened is out of necessity, everybody who started out as maybe strictly a programmer went, I've got to be the expert about on everything about everything. Because it's it, you know, sending the signal out was only one part. 
understanding what it was going to do down the line, which we're all still responsible for, was the next evolution. And I think that the people who were successful said, all right, I, I cannot just be in this bubble of programming. I need to be fully versed in all of this, developed a skill set and went, well, you know, if I'm doing this, I might as well partner with whoever I'm working with and provide that skill set. And I think, you know, the CSP movement's kind of grown out of that, which there's a whole lot more. And I think programmers were kind of getting a knock in the first place. You know, I, I know the guys can attest is that, you know, you may be the most versed guy on, on site. And, you know, the first thing that people ask is, who's that? Oh, that's just the programmer. You know, it, it, you know, it, they, they, even when you keep your mouth shut, you know, the, the, the hairs on the back of your neck kind of bristle up going, I'm going to say something, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of the kind of, you know, the, the burden that was shouldered at the time. Um, I think now what's happening is that from the especially from the third party guys like, um, you know, like Bernard and Scott and Steve and, and myself is that, look, no, we're, we're an asset We're we're part of a much bigger picture to help you be profitable in order to do that. You know, here is what we do. Here is who what we are. And by the way, programming is still one of our skill sets, but there's a whole lot more to it. And I think companies are understanding that when you're getting away from um, some of the manufacturers are, are trying to provide these turnkey quote unquote systems. You know, you plug it in, you configure a couple of things here and there. Here's something that is no programming required, which is fine, which, you know, we're all for because it opens up the market. But when you move into the next level, when somebody needs something very specific or special, that's when somebody like a CSP comes in. And and I think that's where we've grown out of it and said, yes, this is why this happens. And you are more than just a programmer because it isn't just writing code. There's a whole lot more to it. And, and, uh, you know, it's it's just really interesting to see how we've started to mature. And I think that's what's happened is what we're seeing is it's an adolescence that we're hitting. We haven't quite matured. We're not in our infancy anymore. And everybody's kind of feeling each other out. And part of it is, okay, let's define who we are for the first time. So we're in, we're in, we're in our early teens. Is that, what, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Our, 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 our voices are cracking and, <laughs> uh, you know, we're getting that little thin mustache from a CSP standpoint. And a huge do we have a learner's permit yet or not? Well, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's a good question, Bernard. I mean, you talk about that for a second. I mean, because not just the learner's permit part, but, um, you know, take this another level and something that, that Rich and, and, you know, I have a lot of respect for Rich, and I'm not saying that because he's on the call. He's been, you know, preaching the fact that, that we are still kind of developing and, and we are so far behind the, the software industry and the IT industry even. But you know, this is not just about control. It's about it's about you know managing the prog- the the uh, the, uh, the whole process. Everything from you know whether it's um, you know writing the code or, or moving the project along. You guys, yeah. as as independent programmers, you guys do a lot. Yeah, I think if you look at a traditional software model where we were writing software for a specific platform, let's say we we're writing accounting software that was going to be deployed on. You know, this OS, like a Windows platform, there's a lot more standards in place versus in the AV industry, there is no standard. Everyone does something different, and that makes what the uh, the independent programmers have to do. And the AV industry still doesn't have a a standard that's across all the manufacturers to send audio and video over a piece of Cat5. Everyone has their own take on it, and because of that… 
everyone has their own flavor of that also ripples out into controlling systems. So therefore, there is no true standard in our system. In our systems, everything is custom. So writing customized software, some of the traditional rules of writing, you know, traditional software don't apply because of the fact that this manufacturer handles switching differently than this manufacturer here. This manufacturer's protocol is different than this manufacturer's over there, and therefore there's not a lot of common ground that can be used because everything is so customized for the project, not only from a hardware standpoint but from also a control standpoint because the control is built on the hardware that's in place. Well, and Scott, let's, let's talk about that for a second. And I've, I've asked this question before, and I've gotten um, interesting emails from, from certain um, uh, control manufacturers um, that when I asked the question about can we standardize, you know, can we standardize control? Can we standardize um, the control programming that we do? I mean, you, you look at, you know, let's look at, look at Aurora, which is HTML-based, and then you have AMX, which uh, the two times I've looked at it made my brain hurt because I'm not a, 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 a C plus uh, certified programmer yet. But, you know, and then you look at Crestron, which with the simple plus and the simple windows, which is not, you know, it's, it's not C plus yet. Um, they're working on C sharp with the whole new, um, the whole core three, but it's a little bit simpler than just lines of code. So is there a way, and, and if, if the answer is no, that's fine, that we can standardize on how we all talk to each other? I don't know if there's a global way. I say at the uh, um, at processor level and from the ground up, I think we can. Um, all the different manufacturers in dealing with their own engineering and their own master ideas of what's a good time, I, I think is a is a pipe dream. Um, so, but the, but then we're talking about are we talking about end units? Are we talking about you know mid units or or head end units? Um, when we're when we're continually talking about devices at the end of the chain. Um, I think it's not as critical as um, standardization on the front end in getting there. Um, so like Freshron and, and these other manufacturers trying to go to a, a more standardized approach um, will help that streamline into being a more efficient process instead of everybody being completely reliant on one person, which in the past has always been a programmer. Depending on who you get is where that standard has been determined, and, and that's where our I think our industry has been so fragmented, is relying on one person as opposed to a, a whole. So whether the devices at the end will completely standardize, I don't believe so, but I don't even know if that's the biggest overall issue in the efficiency of, of our whole process. So what is the biggest, the biggest issue? I think it's perception, reality, and partnerships. Um, the perception is, is that um, for a long, so many years, is that we were creating some sort of voodoo, um, and only certain people could get into it, and and then the manufacturers didn't buy into all of that on, on a on a big level, and then I think the uh, uh, manufacturer didn't look at all the players, and they were just looking at the uh, um, what does it mean to be able to turn this out. So I think it was fragmented, if I if I'm saying it right, um, and to be able to bring everybody together to come up with a standard and really partner together. And that's what we're going for in the, in the, in the CSP range and some of these other independent um, programming councils of being part of the solution, not an after effect. And I think that then we can uh, 
help in that standardization process. I'm going to bring Matt Silverman in because Matt's a technology manager like I am. He works for George Mason University. Matt, you have a, a background in, in project management. You have a background in IT. Uh, you have put together some very impressive pro, uh, projects at George Mason. Talk to these guys and, and talk to the people listening about how, what's the process? What, how, how can they eat most effectively get involved uh, at, at the earliest stage? Because they're saying you know they want to be on, involved earlier, which I get. Um, but when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the end user, um, sometimes that's not feasible. So how would you say, how, how would they get involved earlier uh, so that they're more, you know, better able to, to, to affect the whole program? Well, I, I was actually thinking about this a bunch uh, after uh, actually listening to the last episode, uh, which talked about uh, scopes of work and statements of work. And one of the things that uh, I heard a lot there was, you know, we don't we we, we now start programming after the equipment list is created. But we really need to start thinking about that a lot earlier at George Mason. We really do things on an architectural level. And what we try to do is start our planning every time we roll out a new set of uh, local GMU standards. I'm getting a lot of static. Is that me or is that everyone? I'm sorry. That's everyone. Okay. Um, and uh, with, with that, what we, we try to do is really start planning, I'd say, about a year in advance before we roll out a new hardware platform. Uh, for us, we're a Crestron house, and we've had two recent what I'll call platform rollouts. We did first-generation digital media products made by 8s and 16 by 16s and we did about a year worth of planning before we rolled out six to eight different standard designs. We recently updated some of those standards to the uh, DMPS 300 platform, and we actually went with a much more modular approach where we rolled out uh, really a configurable system uh, in the sense that we defined all of our potential inputs and outputs and then really made it scalable. So this summer when we're rolling them out, I think we're rolling out something like 15 or 17 configurations in the field out of about 65 systems installed. Uh, what I would recommend to, um, to folks who are looking to get involved in earlier is try to go in and sell solutions. I, you know, I, I, I like that it's now a Crestron you know, service provider, but I was actually thinking about this. I'm thinking, you know, solution provider is actually how I would start branding it because where I see this real fertile space to get involved with both corporate and uh, institutions, uh, government, uh, education, is really kind of coming in and helping them develop a full AV architecture where you understand the 80% types of systems they install, the ones which are bread and butter, help them come with a unified environment, which includes both a user interface, but also gets into uh, staff support tools, where uh, that they're really able to support their environment. And if you can get involved at that early stage and really help them planning, it creates a long-term partnership, both for the uh, service provider, but also for the organization, so that they, they are now looking more almost at an IT level of creating an architecture rather than really going system by system as we've traditionally looked in AV. 
Okay, so Steve, let, let's take what, what Matt's talking about and, and the larger architecture. Is this something where you can take what Matt's saying and, and, and you know, George Mason is, first of all, is, is kind of uh, advanced when it comes to some uh, educational industries or institutions because they honestly have a plan. Is that something where you can introduce to an, a, a client and say, hey, you know, look, here's here is something that, you know, we, we can build a relationship Here's an idea. Here, here is something where we can help you, not just today and tomorrow and, and for this project, but help you kind of develop something uh, over the longer term. Sure. It, and I think that that's where a lot of the shift is, is, is changing the perception of being a, a transactional relationship to being more uh, of a uh, an ongoing relationship and 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 even taking a look at uh, a support model rather than just saying that I, I want to be your partner for this project uh, I want I, I, I want to be your partner for all your systems or for the lifetime of this system I, I think is a better way of looking at it and and also coming up with some innovative ideas uh, where you you are adding some more value add and customization to, and I like the way Matt put it, as a solution. Um, and, and I think that there are some solutions that can be sold to different clients, but there are some solutions that really need to be tailored to a specific client. And, and I think that that type of innovation is really taking programming to the next level. But some of that is, correct me if I'm wrong here, some of that is your core competencies, right? Like you, you have certain things that you know that you can do and you can do them as good or better than anybody else. And so those are the things that you're going to offer. And then if there's something that comes up that says, you know, that, that they want you to do X, Y, or Z, it's something that you're going to be honest with the client that says, you know what, it's not something we do or absolutely it's not something we've done in the past, but I have every confidence that we can either learn it or, or get the competency level that you're looking for. Absolutely. It definitely has to start with a core competency, but I, I think listening to what the clients are, are asking for or needing and then potentially bring, building a staff or, or a talent pool to be able to, to answer that demand, I, I think, is, is, is really one of the keys. And, but, but of course, you, know, you, you don't want to commit yourself to something that you can't do. Yeah. But, but, it's a, but, but it's a matter of, uh, you know, do, do we want to live within the world that, that we've been in and, and um, keep programming or, or programmers as being a, uh, you know, the, this, um, this, this small world solution and, and need, or do we want to branch out and, and become a bigger player? Absolutely. And and more of a more of a consultant, I guess, can be can be looked at as you know, your pro programming is is what we what we provide, but we want to be hired as a consultant to to solve uh, problems or provide knowledge. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second because in in the notes, Steve Steve is Steve's the producer of the show beyond anything <laughs> else, uh, and in the notes that he he gave to all of us, he said, you know what, let's let's look at programmers as consultants. Let's look at that relationship as a consultant. Um, and, and Steve has a good relationship like that, and so does Rich. And, and Rich, just based on my knowledge of both of those guys, um, talk for a second about how that relationship is developed because there are, are people that, because you, you've told me stories both while we're recording and while we're not recording, 
um, about how you just you you're, you have relationships with these people, and they'll call you either as the project is developing in their head, even, or it's starting to, to develop, and you're like, you know, why don't we try this instead of this? Whether it's a product or whether it's a it's a workflow or whether it's even getting down to project management, where you'll say, you know, can we try installing X instead of instead of Y? You know, a week or two beforehand to make sure you know that that it's all working. How does that? How do you develop that relationship where you're looked at as as a consultant and not just the guy that that makes my my Cestron work? Well, I mean that's that. I mean that's the rub right there. I mean it was funny is that we you know we were just going into the consultant theme and I, I was about to jump in is that it, it's tough because a there is a consult. You know, again, a, I'm I'm speaking from the resi world, so the. Uh, the electronic architect is still a not a well-known process in the residential market and it's becoming more and more and, and we coined the term you know, a couple of decades ago but in in the industrial and commercial and everything else you know the consultant the AV consultant tends to be an established part of the process or the facilities manager and and so the programmer comes in to be a cog in that wheel the hard part is where do you go in terms of showing your work, but also making sure you're not biting the hand that feeds you? Because at that point, God knows that you know guys who have technical backgrounds don't sometimes have misplaced egos. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you know there is that danger about letting your technical aspirations override your business aspirations, and as a consultant. It is a matter of establishing trust by providing solutions, which is what, you know, again, I, I think that Matt absolutely nailed it on the head. You know, you are a solution provider. You're an end result provider. You know, you're getting somebody from point A to point B. Everything that happens in between, the person who's paying your bill doesn't care. They really don't. So to spend a whole lot of time going, this is what I do and breaking it down, they don't care. What matters is, how am I going to get it? Can I get it efficiently? Can I get it economically? And can I get it reliably? Um, so, you know, how can a third-party programmer kind of jump that gap? They have to make sure that they are completely focused to being part of the team and supporting everybody else around them, which sometimes is a hard thing to do because sometimes, uh, you know, again, I, I've been... I've been guilty of this is mistakenly thinking that I'm the smartest guy in the room and not always looking at the whole picture of what's going on. I start looking at, at what I think should be done, which may or may not be um, uh, may not may not be the result of conversations that have occurred that I was never a part of. So, you know, sometimes the hardest part about, you know, becoming a trusted consultant is knowing when to offer your advice and then being able to follow through with it. Um, and, and I think that as third-party programmers are trying to step into this, um, branching out and, and getting a breadth of experience, um, sometimes trumps getting a depth of experience, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that you can answer on different elements because you never know which item might actually be attractive to whoever's awarding the contract. Because again, as a third-party programmer, you're kind of in the middle. You're not a dealer. You don't sell the stuff. So you don't necessarily have a contract with that. You're not necessarily a consultant. 
So you're not defining the project and you may not have access to the decision makers. So who, you know, who is it that you actually are catering to? You're catering to those two established bases. And you have to make sure that you're a value-added proposition and not creating the space where you become another competitive market or another competitive player in it. And, and you know, it's, so it's kind of funny. It's like, well, you know, we talk about all the things that we should be doing. Well, first thing you should be doing is supporting the guys who pay you. Because if you do it well enough, they'll keep finding ways to pay you. And as they do that, the projects will grow. And sooner or later, you're going to gain the experience from it. I mean, there's no fast way to do it. You can't all of a sudden change your company name to, you know, from, you know, richest programming services to richest consulting services, and immediately I'm acknowledged as a consultant. It's, it's, you know, you, you you do have to put in your work, and in this industry, you know, putting in this work means doing a lot of back end stuff that you may not be initially compensated for, um, even though you think you should. Uh, and so it's um, it's a difference between your technical skills and the psychological skills of um, you know, keeping your ego in check and making sure that you're a team player. You know, that, that in a nutshell, that's the biggest thing. Focus on being of service. You know, if you are a service provider, you have to have, you know, what's called, you know, they, they call it in sales. It's kind of this newfangled thing, you know. Again, here comes the West Coast kind of vibe, dude. But, um, you know, you kind of have to have a servant's heart. You yeah. know, you have to be willing to focus your energy on, on, giving, you know, and, and adding value. And it's a weird thing to say from a business proposition, but in terms of what our industry does, that really does wind up happening is the guys who are organized and the guys who show that they care. And if you can do those two things, it tends to grow from there. Okay, Matt, I'm going to ask you a hard question based coming off of, of Rich's, you know, be a servant's heart. Is that going to get anywhere with administration or, or people the, the higher higher end decision makers. I mean, obviously, it would affect you because you're the one who has a direct relationship with people like Rich, but people who are above you and and me for that matter, um, will that get to them? Maybe, and and, and again, it depends on the sales pitch. I you know I've been given a lot of thought on what Steve sent out as the show notes and actually listening to the past couple uh, state of controls and what I've seen. I I think the um, the the custom programming uh, industry evolving into is a lot like networking was um, in the IT industry, you know, 20 or th even you know about 20 years ago, I would say, and really moving from again the, this manufacturer centric or even this consultant centric uh, world to more of a solution centric world, and I think if people can get higher up in the organizations, which unfortunately Tim is actually probably not talking to you or me, yeah. but talking to our bosses in higher education, I would say it's probably at the director or vice presidential level. And coming in and prevent, presenting a vision of an environment, presenting a, a comprehensive solution. And ultimately, if they want to get adoption either in institutional settings or in corporate settings, it, you have to be solving a problem. Uh, it's something I did on, almost as an internal consultant about five years ago here where when we were making the jump to digital, we also talked about all the other problems we were having. The fact that we still had to physically go to all of our classrooms to troubleshoot them. The fact that we didn't have good remote monitoring tools. And so when we built our first architecture, we really said, how can we solve a problem? 
And once you get into the business of solving problems, which I think is a lot like Rich said, the, you know, the servant's heart, you, you will really speak to those who can sign the big checks. And, you know, it's one thing that's always amazed me, and I've had this conversation even here locally when I've had some large AV programming projects where we've outsourced them, is the cost, in my opinion, is actually very cheap in comparison to when I've also outsourced IT programming. I've had, you know, I've done some web development stuff. I've done some custom development, uh, had some custom development uh, products as well done on the IT side. And we have to help, at least for people like you and me, Tim, our our supervisors understand that to get the same quality, we've seen some stuff from some of our IT VARs. We need to be looking at similar cost structures and similar I guess, documentation and delivery structures to what we're seeing on the IT side as well. I think you brought up a really good point there, Matt. I think the biggest thing about that would be uh, the communication of what that final deliverable is. Mm -hmm. And so many times in the AV industry, it's so project-driven versus service-driven. And I think in the software side, I think it's more service-driven than project-driven. And universities are a great example of that, that once the project is done – I call it the kick the tire phase. You typically don't know if that room is a success or not until the end of that that semester when you get feedback from the faculty. You may get some immediate feedback, but you know typically after the end of that first semester was when you would go back in there and do some type of uh, you know reordering of sources or changing changing nomenclature. So I think it, when you take a look at a project, everybody's like, "Well, the project's done," but when you look at it from a service side of things. It looks like, okay, now we've made it through the first phase of the project, but we still need to service it moving forward. And I think that's where a bit disconnect happens on some of these projects when they say, okay, here's the project, but what about the service? And establishing those two uh, – delineating between those two items. Uh, knowing who your actual customer is. Making, exactly. a faci- making the facilities managers the heroes will get you everywhere every time. Mm-hmm. Giving the, them the facilities that they need to be able to solve the problem on a daily basis will get you that check every time. Absolutely. Let, well, let me I think also the, Sorry. Go ahead. The, the, the ROI a lot of times is really realized on the service side or on the, the post-implementation side when you have to go and make a change. How did you develop your system so that it – it doesn't become a monumental task to swap out a device or to, to add an input or to, to make the, the, the customized changes that Bernard is discussing. I think that that speaks to that upfront planning. And, and I think that that's where, really where, where you can become the hero and, and, fi- and, and try and recoup or, or realize the, the value in, in your investment. Well, I mean, to give to give a real world example of that on a project we're doing right now, I had a sink which wasn't on my AV drawings appear where one of my input locations were, and ooh. because we had configuration built into our programming architecture, we just deleted that input location from our configuration file, which meant we updated our GUI, it was removed from our routes. And it was a five-minute change of just changing an XML file rather than, you know, a whole change order directive. And starting to think in that level, I think, can help people understand the real value in dollars that you're going to see in a return for maybe spending a little bit more on the front end, both in planning and in architecting, 
but your payback down the road where you can do a five-minute change and instantly update your environment will pay for itself so many times. Let's take a step. Let, let, me, let me interject a thought that I have here. You know, Again, we're kind of talking on the 30,000-foot view about what we should do. It. Who's going to pay for it? How do you create that if you aren't necessarily the key point? And again, here we're talking about, let's in, in this specific instance, you know, we were talking about CSPs who yeah. are service providers, but you don't provide hardware and you're not the consultant. You're in the middle. So, you know, this is kind of the question that I'm asking is how many of you are dealing with the facilities person directly or are you already dealing through the channel? So, you know, I always view this as, you know, here's kind of the big view of what we're talking about, but then there's the practical side of things. You know, are you being hired as the third authority to come in along with the consultant and with the installing dealer? You know, are you fostering the relationship that way or are you fostering that relationship as support to the guys who potentially are paying your bill who might be the dealer, you know, or the consultant? I mean, those are the things that kind of come up in my mind, which is, well, yeah, this is, this is the shift. Yeah. This is the shift I think we're talking about. Who our client is compared to who it was five years mm -hmm. ago. No, our client is not the middleman anymore. Our client's the end user. That's who we shoot for. For what you just said, Richard. So I would think that that's the major shift. So at that point, are you basically targeting, you know, who who used to be your conduit? I mean that that is the rub for me. You know, am I now looking to compete? with somebody who was my partner? Or am I collaborating with somebody who used to be my partner? Well, I mean, that's a very interesting line. You know, w w as the decision, as we are maturing, what line are you crossing? That's what I was talking about, kind of the, the breadth of experience. It, you know, as, you know, there are other systems that become available, you know, can you then leverage yourself that way? Because it does get away from just control. It gets, away, it gets into being a technology solution provider. Mm -hmm. Aren't you aren't you kind of doing both the rich and, and I understand from the architect standpoint and from the integrator standpoint how how you guys could be seen as almost like uh, almost com competition at, at some point, but it's going to be it's going to take some education for them as well as for the end user to say, look, you know, I'm just looking out for the end user. I'm not looking to to usurp your power, Mr. Architect. I'm simply looking to, you know, make sure that everybody in this conversation has all the information and make sure that the end result is exactly what the end user wants. Not, you know, necessarily what is is in the in the spec. And yes, the spec is important. I'm not saying that and, and all the documentation is important. But honestly, it, 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 there's a lot of times where, again, as a, as a technology manager, you look at those specs and you look at, at the documentation and yes, everything is exact to the letter, uh, what, what is in the spec, but it's not what I wanted, you know, or it's not what the department wanted, or it's not what the president's office wanted. Yes, it's exactly to the letter, but it's not what they had in their mind. Yeah, but then then that goes back to scope of work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it it it's, it is that Achilles heel at that point. And then again, both of you, you know, and into Matt and to you, how many guys do you want to deal with? How many people do you want to have the same conversation with? But at some point, though, some of these things, like I, I think it's interesting when Matt talked earlier about the IT side of things. Um, if you take a look at the IT side of the house. The people who are providing the switches uh, aren't the, always the same people who are provisioning the switch uh, in the data closets. 
and the same people – they're always not the same people who are doing the infrastructure wiring. So you know, if we take the par- if we take the argument that the AV industry is doing the same thing the IT industry did five six years ago, the same thing happened in the IT industry where it used to be the people who provided the switch the network switch also provisioned the switch, but now that has gone a different way where you call in a specialist to to provision the switches and set up your VLANs and things of that nature. Um, I think that you know. I think that parallelism is, is is true in this industry as well, where it can be either side. Um, it, it is based on the relationship and based on what the customer's uh, expectations are, and also what they expect the service. Are they expecting to say, "Hey, we want a turnkey solution, and at the end of this turnkey solution date here, we're all done," or do we want a maintenance contract stating that after two months of using the system? We want to come back and adjust some naming, adjust some switching, and things of that nature. And I think that has to be defined up front. But it is a very slippery slope that we're talking about here. But I do think that if we model this, you know, we always talk about the conversation that this is very similar to the IT industry. That's what the same thing the IT industry did five, six years ago. No, and I, I think you're hitting a great point because it's almost how I, I was thinking about it in my head as well. And as we look into not just the number of programmable things which are in an AV system, but the number of configura- configuratable, I guess if that's even a word, <laughs> items, <is> now. <laughs> items that are in an AV system, someone has to be responsible. And it's something as as a owner and as a purchaser of, of AV services is actually something we saw getting dropped on the floor. The consultant was always working at such a high level at least in the early days of digital we were seeing integrators just not having the skill set to really get into how do i deal with edit and hcp and all the other fun things and how do i deal with network-based i you know av and we actually locally ended up developing i think it's now close to about a 50-page configuration guide for our systems where we get into all of those variables. And I see that being part of kind of this new engineering role. I mean, parallel to what I'll say is a network engineering role, the people who do the provisioning and the configuration and all of that, where there needs to be provisioning of an AV system. There needs to be configuration of an AV system. And right now, I see that almost 100% aligned with programming because given that everything we do is custom software, half those variables have to come from whoever's going to program the system as well. Okay, so let me ask you guys. We'll take one last stab at this. Matt mentioned the con- the, the configuratable uh, systems that we have, and when it comes to whether it is a DSP or it's it's, and I understand there's there's different education for that as well. Who is I mean, is it is it the programmer's responsibility, and, and and how is this how is this quote unquote programmer's job title and and, and job. Uh, roles changing and, and and where are they now like if, if you say you know what you're a programmer you know and and steve we'll start with you on this one it, it, you hire a programmer and and you know this is what you're going to do or you get hired as a quote unquote programmer what is it that they expect you to do what what's the expectation from guys like matt and me and and um you know other you know corporations when they hire you what what is their expectation what do they want you to do i i, I think simply put it's to to, to deliver a working system, but but I think that there, in no way are 
is the expectation that everything's going to be defined for us and we're just going to live on the keyboard and type everything in and 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 take basically a uh, instruction set and code it. It's more of that, that we're going to bring to the table uh, knowledge from our past experiences, other uh, clients perhaps, and, and also ideas to to help to to define what it, what is the the most appropriate solution. And not only that, we're also going to help to advise and and talk about should a system be looked at or designed maybe a little differently or a specific way or or maybe talk about uh, best fit for selection of certain equipment uh, you know I, I in my experience it's it's been all of those things and, and even more so in trying to to work with it and to to kind of touch on, on some of the things said in the past to have those relationships to be able to work with a consultant to work with an integrator and be a team player and almost quarterback the implementation so that everything is in and set up properly and and is is fully tested which is another good point to to meet what the what the the client satisfaction or expectations are all right scott somebody hires you as as a programmer when you when you have that meeting do you explain to them or, or how do you explain to them what you do and if they ask you to do something more than that, do you say absolutely, or or do you say, you know, yeah, we can sub that out? Um, well, we've done both. I think um, I think to Matthew's point, I think that's probably clearer to what our business model is: is that we're going in um, pitching structure um, and architecture to to our clients. We're looking at. I speak a lot about a three-year plan and a five-year plan for the companies that I'm going in with, um, and. The whole underlying configuration of all of that is a huge part of what, of what we bring to the table with that. And you, you talk about DSP, lighting, network configuration, and custom deliverables. All of that I wrap up into the idea of structure. Um, we're, the, um, we're the company that's going to come in and, and lay the, the foundation for you where everybody will know what's going on. That's what. And, and where the growth happens what it's going to look like, and what the systems will do and won't do, and also how we service those systems on a macro level and a micro level. That's very good. Uh, Bernard, same same question to you. When, when it comes to programming and, and how you guys define what a programmer is doing currently, what, what does that look like for you guys? Uh, very similar to Scott. I think when, we, we, when we're asked to come to work on a project, we take a look at the big picture and we try to decide, okay, if someone's asking us to do something that wasn't originally part of what their scope, we take an assessment, is this something that is, we're capable of doing in our wheelhouse, and what's the best way to, uh, to, to get that done? Meaning, is it something that we're, we're competent skill set to do? Is it somebody we've worked with before we could team up to do? But I think it's more importantly to define the scope of what they're looking to do. I think a lot of what we do is really digging into the details of defining what the system needs to do. I think one thing that always happens is we get a project, and then after we get the first project, we have the first meeting, and the first thing after we finish the first meeting is, man, you guys ask a lot of questions. <laughs> and I think that's what happens. I mean, we have to really get to the nuts and bolts of what the system's going to do. The person sees the interface for the first time and hits the button, it does what they want to do, and in order to do that, 
we have to ask a lot of questions. And I think from that Q&A process, then things come to life that were never either thought of before or were talked about but were not important at the time but now bubble up to the surface. So I think if nothing else, we're good investigators, that we go in and we investigate the job and we uncover things that were not thought of before, for lack of better terms. No, no that's, that, I, I like that. Uh, Mr. Fergosa, maybe you should change your name to Digital Investigator. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, I like that, Bernard. What? I, I, that actually, it's pretty cool. I, I got to say, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool concept. Um, if you'll see my, uh, my job title on my Facebook page, it is... Um, Technology forensics investigator. Very nice, very well done, Scott. <laughs> uh, so, Rich, if I uh, if I win the lottery, um, the, the big lottery, and I want to hire you, um, not just like you know the the million dollar one, but if I if I win the big the, the big jackpot and I want to hire you as my programmer, what are you what are you going to bring to the table? What are you going to tell me that you're going to do out out of the box uh, as my quote unquote programmer? Um, you know. It's real simple. Um, I've spent 23 years breaking it every way possible. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? What people are getting, they are as they they aren't buying necessarily programming. They're buying experience. They're buying technology experience. They're buying the ability to deploy and somebody who's been through it before. And you know, and again, it, it it's a different pitch. It was it, you know, it's like Matt was saying, is that you know, it kind of depends on your sales pitch. Yeah. Um, and. You know, I'm I I readily admit I'm one of those weird exceptions in the industry. Um, you know, I I came to programming by accident. Programming is probably, you know, not exactly my strongest skill. My my strongest skill is listening, you know, and talking, um, and and understanding people. And I really think that. CSPs or whatever we're going to be called, you know, I mean that that really is. And if you listen to the thread that we're all talking about, it's about listening. It's about being invested in the human interaction side of things in order to be able to deal with the machine interaction side of things. Um, and that's what people really are looking for. Is they're looking for answers. They're looking for solutions. And our job is to demystify everything else that's down line to go ahead and provide structure. To you know, provide to ask the questions. You know, the the running tagline that you know we I I always used to um, say with clients is that you know I I I had four um, accountants in a row and I fired every single one of them for a simple reason. When I asked them a question, and 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 something came up, they said, "Well, you didn't ask." Well, of course. That's why I hired you in the first place. Your job. If they ask me the questions, I don't know to ask. Yeah. That is our job. You know, that, that's the investigation, the forensic side of things. You know, it is to be able to get to that little kernel that really is somebody's flashpoint and get that delivered and move on. You know, and and so, you know, with it is that, you know, again, I, I, I call myself a digital concierge, you know, and I and it's true. What what, what I happen to do is use technology and you know, some cases it's design, some cases it's project management, some cases it's documentation and engineering, and some cases it's programming. Sometimes it's all of them together. But you know, where people fit in on that a la carte menu, I think that that's where we need to start embracing more and more. And 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 you know, companies like Scotts and and Bernards are, are and Steves, you know, already do that. I think what we're trying to speak out to is guys who are saying, 
okay, I just got my level one certification from AMX or Crestron, and um, I want to be able to do this on my own, or I want to be able to branch out into these new um, markets. And I think that's what we're speaking to is, is just that. You know, make sure that you have your technical chops down, but really focus on the act of communicating. Because that's, that's really all we're – I mean, that's what the past hour has been. It's been about communication, yeah. communication and education. You know, if you really want to take a look at it, it just so happens that the at the end of the day, we all sit behind laptops and, you know, we've got multiple monitors and we're coding like crazy. Um, so, I mean, again, you know, what do people get? I listen. You know, I listen and I ask questions. And if they like how I answer the questions, they hire me. And, you know, we, we, we hope for the best from there. All right, uh, Mr. Silverman, we'll give you the last word uh, as the technology manager. What is it that you're looking for? Uh, nowadays, because you're not just looking for a guy that does ones and zeros. What are you looking for uh, when you hire a programmer? Well, I think these guys really hit it. We're, we're looking for someone who takes time to learn about our environment and figure out what we're trying to do and ask the questions and, and, and probes. Uh, I recently had one of the most pleasant experiences I've had with a contract programmer in years where someone took our provided GUI concept and said, you know, I think it's good, but let me give you an alternative. And they actually gave us, they gave us version one, which is what we asked for in version two, which was what they thought was better. And we said, you know what, you're absolutely right. Let's go with your solution. And it, it, it's someone who tries to understand our intent rather than just delivering uh, a statement of work. And that really, for us, leads to a long-term relationship. I mean, when you look at us, particularly George Mason, we maybe outsource 10% of our programming. However, typically is what I'll call unique systems, which, funny enough, either end up on the very, very high end or the absolute most basic systems. Uh, but... With that, we really look for someone, again, who will understand our environment, talk to us. And I actually remember it after a conference call on this one. It's I got off the phone. I said, you know, I don't actually know what their work is, but I know they ask the right questions. Yeah. And I, I, I can't say that enough. It's, it's really someone who's delivering that overall solution and not just trying to do check marks on, you know, an equipment list or a statement of work. No, I like that. And that will be our last word. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a state of control uh, with has, has been Steve Greenblatt from uh, Control Concepts. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And how can people get a hold of you or get a hold of Control Concepts? Uh, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and other uh, various social networks uh, going by Steve Greenblatt. Pretty simple. Or uh, controlconcepts.net. Very good. Uh, Bernard Morgan has been here. Bernard is from ICS Plus. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, and how can people get a hold of you? Just at our website, www.icsplusonline.com. And from there, you can go through the website and contact anybody you need. Okay, very good. Uh, Scott Samsel. Scott is from Greenpoint TDI. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. And how can people get a hold of you? Uh, through our website, www.greenpointtdi.com. We also have the same uh, um, um, through Facebook and Twitter and um, all of the social media sites. Just search for Greenpoint TDI. Okay. Uh, Rich Fergoza from Fergoza Design, uh, fergozadesign.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It was a 
Good times. Good, good group of guys here. Um, definitely highly respect their work and, and glad to spend some time with them. Absolutely. And how can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at rfragosa. Uh, you can find me on the website, Fragosa Design. You can find uh, me every once in a while on a podcast with our yeah. illustrious leader, Tim. And uh, let's see, also on uh, cepro.com, also uh, one of the CD tweets this year. So if uh, you're in residential or you're curious about the residential market, come see us at Cedia Expo this year. In beautiful downtown Denver this year. so It is. It's going to be a good time. Oh, and use CT2 for your code and get in for free. CT2. Steve, do you have a code too? No, not 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 this year. Ah, uh, see, there you go. CT. He was an inaugural member. He's OG. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is a phrase I never thought I would hear. hear I, I didn't run for a second term. Associated with Mr. Greenblatt. Uh, OG. Uh, last but not least, SG. SG. SG is an SG is an OG. Don't let uh, don't let our buddy Hi-Fi get a hold of that because you know he'll wrap something about it. Uh, and Matt Silverman, Matt's from uh, George Mason University. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Where can people find you and your your uh, your um, work? LinkedIn. And if anyone's uh, listening to this, and I guess before August nineteenth, uh, please go out and take a look at the AV uh, Systems Performance Verification. Uh, checklist standard which is now in public review at uh, infocom slash standards infocom slash standards matt by the way is my standards guru he knows everything about every standard <laughs> so um and my name is tim albright don't follow me but go to the website if you would please avnation.tv avnation.tv you'll find this podcast and a host of others mr Vergoza made mention the the av week we also have an education show that mr silverman is on um and uh, some uh, on uh, live staging and events do it yourself and uh, an av social uh, marketing and, and social media for the av industry so check it out avnation.tv avnation.tv saints thanks so much for listening this has been a state of control